Okay. Okay. How many people here are perfect? Raise your hand. All right. If you were going to raise your hand, I was going to tell you to go home and talk to your wife. Uh, but uh, we are talking today about fallibility. And I want you to take out your, uh, your blue sheet of paper. And we're looking at a book that's entitled The Intangibles of Leadership. And what that means is it's more than just what you put on your resume for someone to look at you and determine if you've got leadership qualities. But whenever you're looking at great leaders, there are some intangibles that they have. And so we've been looking through this book and picking out some of the intangibles. And the one today is called fallibility. And fallibility means you're just not perfect. And you'll see this statement on the front of your, uh, of your handout. And it says, extraordinary leaders show their flaws rather than hide them. There is value in imperfection. There's value in imperfection. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And um, I, I love the story about the, the man who had been married to his wife for a number of years, and uh, it was her birthday. And so she woke up that morning, and he just looked at her and says, Honey, what would you like for your birthday? If you had one wish, what would it be? And she said, I'd like to be six again. He said, Okay. So what he did was he got her up, they got ready, and he took her over to the amusement park. And he took her to the amusement park, and they rode every one of the rides. He rode the big screen machine and the wall of fear and, and the loop-de-loops, and it went on for five hours. And if they read all those rides, they left there, and her stomach was kind of turning upside down. He said, let's go to McDonald's. They went to McDonald's. He bought her a Happy Meal. And when he got her the Happy Meal, he got her some extra fries and got her a chocolate shake and said, let's go to a movie. So then they went to the big movie that was playing, got one of those nasty hot dogs from the movie, and then also on some popcorn and some coke and got some M&Ms and they watched the movie and then they trudged home at night and they laid down and she just passed out. And so the husband, he's pretty proud of himself. He says, hey, how was it being six again? And she looked at him and says, you idiot, I wanted to be a size six again. <laughs> you see, we are all fallible, okay? We all make mistakes. But what happens is, is that we really don't want other people to know that. We want to appear flawless to the world. We got perfect kids, perfect houses, perfect jobs, perfect leadership. We create a Facebook persona that we have a life that everyone envies. And it just comes across as phony and not real. And anyone who ever comes across your path and they feel like they've always, always got it all together, you just say, you know, that just can't be right. We've all made mistakes, and we've all got shortcomings. And one of the great intangibles of leadership is really fallibility and owning up to that. Now, to start on the back of your sheet, I want you to, to look at, at some, we're going to fill in some blanks. And what I want to do is, first of all, tell you about what infallible thinking manifests itself in. When infallible thinking, when you, when you began to think that I'm supposed to look perfect and everybody's supposed to see me as having it all together, there are, uh, there are three things that will manifest. Number one is what's called self-promotion, self-promotion. And, and whenever you, you think that you're infallible, you will um, get to a mindset to where you should never challenge my assumptions because, you see, I want everyone to see how good I am. And so everything I do is so that people will think that I've got it all together and don't ever question me on that, and everything's about promoting yourself. Number two, it is risk avoidance. 
you don't want to risk anything because there may be failure there and you're supposed to be perfect so you avoid any risk. Number three is this, what I call protectiveness. And that is you only report the good news. This is where a lot of companies got into trouble when they began to hide information because they want everybody to think that the company's just doing great and that everything's going well. And so in order to protect myself, I began to hide information and only report good news. Now, that's infallible thinking, and that's not good. We need to look at the advantages of being fallible. Are you ready? Number, number two, how you will know fallibility. We say, well, Danny, how will I know fallibility rather than just watching somebody mess up or have a, have a, have a train wreck over here? No, it, it's a little deeper than that. And, um, and you're looking at fallibility in strong leaders. And these are some of the ways you'll know that. Number one, they reveal their blemishes. They reveal their blemishes. And that is a, you know, they let you know kind of warts and all, this, this is who I am. And when they reveal their, their blemishes, and you're going to hear me say this over and over again, it's not just the fact that you say, hey, I've got these shortcomings, but then you also give evidence of how you've grown by virtue of those mistakes. So reveal the blemishes. Number two, they talk about specific moments of failure. They talk about specific moments of failure. And whenever a person has got fallibility, they will be real straightforward and honest with you and say, hey, let me just tell you about this time that um, I made a bad decision or I kind of messed up. Uh, I should have listened to this person and I didn't. Uh, I kind of ran over this person and I shouldn't have. This, and this is what I learned. What we discover is that if you had put somebody to come and speak and somebody was, you had two different speakers and one of them was one who that's all they knew was success. And they stood up here and they told you about, hey, man, you know, they, uh, you know, they're a straight-A student in school. Uh, they were three-star athlete. Uh, everything was great. I went to college, nailed college. I've uh, been in the business world. I've been successful everywhere I've been. You know, most of us, when we hear that, we say, I can't even relate to that. But then if you had another speaker that came up and they start walking through their life and they said, let me just tell you about, about sort of a failure that I had. And... Um, it was, it was just a, it was a bad decision. And I went a wrong direction or I made a bad decision. Uh, I, I encouraged our people to go right when we really should have gone left or whatever. And then they come back and say, but let me tell you how I overcame that. And let me tell you what we did as a business. And, and let me tell you what our team did when we overcame that. Well, all of a sudden I'm sitting on the edge of my chair because I'm thinking, you know, I, I've made mistakes too. How do you overcome that? What's the success on that. And so those, when you're looking for leaders who've got fallibility, they're the ones, they'll be real open with you and they'll say, hey, this is, this is mistakes I've made. And, and I've tried to do that with like, uh, not only just in our staff meetings and stuff in church, but even with young guys that I'd mentor to say, and they're walking me through, asking me things, you know, that I've done. And I'll say, well, let me just tell you what I did here. And this is probably the wrong thing. This was the wrong thing. I mean, I, I, I misjudged and, and, and hope you don't have to make that, that same mistake. So they talk about specific moments of failure. Number three, they make greater good decisions, greater good decisions. That means that the decisions that this leader makes will align with the organization's objectives rather than how it's going to make me look good. I'm going to do things for the greater good. Those who never admit any mistakes, they're making decisions that are going to make them look best. But those who are fallible, that know that they're not perfect, 
when they see a decision being made or they have to make a decision, they're going to make it for the best good of the organization. They're going to line up with the uh, organizational goals and say, this is the direction that we need to go. This does not put me in the biggest light. This is not putting me in the spotlight, but this is what is best for our business. And so let's go in that direction, all right? Number four, whenever you see that they are authentic and comfortable in their own skin, they're authentic and they're comfortable in their own skin. They have a realistic self-concept as to who they are, and they're comfortable with it. They're just comfortable with who they are. They don't put on airs. They will acknowledge failures. They'll acknowledge poor decisions. They're just real. They're just a person that's there, and I like the fact they're just comfortable in their own skin. Now, I hope that last night you watched the NCAA basketball finals. Uh, I mean, you know, they have said it could be one of the greatest finals ever in history. I'd just like to share that with any of you who didn't watch it last night so you'll feel even worse uh, that you missed out on that historic event. And these are the kind of games, and this is why I sit down with my wife and say, this is why I have to watch every game that's ever on TV because it could be the best ever, and I don't want to be the one to miss it. <laughs> and she doesn't buy it, but that's okay. Uh, uh, but I did get to watch this one. And, and when you watched it, you just saw just this amazing game, back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and if you didn't see it, uh, you know, the North Carolina's playing Villanova. Uh, North Carolina's down by three points. Uh, they got 13 seconds left. Uh, they t- bring the ball in. They're trying to figure out how to get a shot off. And, and the North Carolina gets the, gets the ball, and the guy fumbles it a little bit. He's trying to shoot a three-pointer to tie it up, and he double clutches a three-pointer. That's just, like, unheard of. It means he goes up in the air, and he's still up in the air, and he kind of clutches, and then before he comes down, he throws it up from well over 20-something feet, and he makes it. Game's tied, 4.7 seconds left. And so none of you tape this are going to watch it later, are you? I hate to, I hate to, be, the, I hate to be the spoiler. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I've been in a meeting where someone said, oh, yeah, so-and-so won the game. And I go, I'll call home and tell Jess, erase the tape. All right, I don't need to see it. So there's 4.7 seconds left. So now there's 4.7 seconds left. Villanova, starting on one end of the court, uh, takes the ball all the way down. Little guard takes it up to about the top of the key, pitches back to a guy who's trailing, and he's probably about 25, 28 feet out, lets her fly. Right when the buzzer goes off, it goes in. Three-pointer, they win the national championship. They've not had a buzzer-beater uh, national championship game, I think, since uh, maybe North Carolina State when they won. So uh, that's, that's out of all the years, all the years of, uh, of the finals, there's probably only two games that have come down to a buzzer shot out of all those years. And um, I love both coaches. I just love – and for me, I'm a um, – uh, I guess I would be called a uh, in the post-game interview junkie. I will sit up until early, early hours in the morning to watch all the interviews because I just love to see how people respond. And both those coaches have such class. But uh, Roy Williams, the coach of North Carolina, I mean, it's a gut ripper when you lose something like that. And um, he, he, his players love him because he's just a real individual. And uh, they were down by 10 points with about five minutes left. And I said, Coach, what did you tell them? And he said, I told them that if they'll just believe in me and do what I'm telling them to do, we'll have a shot at the end of the game. Sure enough, you know, they did. And we went from 10, we got all the way back to where we got this thing, you know, tied up. And then he said, and the guy that hit the winning shot was a guy named Chris. He said, you know, we just, we just didn't cover Chris like we could have. And he looked up and he says, ah, I just wish I could have helped him a little bit more. 
I just wish I could have helped them a little bit more. Wow. I mean, here he's owning up, up to that. And I wanted to jump into the TV and say, it wasn't your fault. <laughs> you know, God made an incredible shot. But, but he owned it. And, uh, and he was, he's a guy, when I see this, he's just authentic. He's comfortable in his own skin. He says, this is who I am. And, uh, man, there's some things I might have been able to do a little bit better. Now, almost anybody that watches that is going to say, hey, this is the kind of guy that I'd want to, uh, I'd want to go to battle with. And the reason is he was just being real, just being a real person. And so, folks, when we talk about fallibility, it means you just just real, being comfortable in your own skin, being authentic on there. Number five is this. They don't equate risk-taking with fear of failure. They don't equate risk-taking with fear of failure. Now, think about that statement for just a moment. Risk-taking and fear of failure. If a person is a perfectionist and they don't think they're ever going to make mistakes and don't want anybody to think that they could ever make a mistake. You are scared to take a risk. And the reason you're scared to take a risk is because of the fear of failure. Because if I take this risk and it doesn't work, how does that look on me? What are people going to say about me? And since I'm obsessed about me and my own self-promotion, then I'm not going to take the risk because of fear of failure. When you see a leader who's fallible, it is one who's willing to take a risk and is not even equating it with the fear of failure. They're taking a risk because they think this is what's best for the organization. This is what's going to take us to the next level. All I'm thinking about is the organization. And if it falls flat on its face, it's on me. I'm fine. But I think this is the best decision to make. It's the person who says the shame is not in missing the shot. The shame is in not taking the shot. And it's the same person that says, if I take the shot and I miss the shot, the shame is when I don't learn from what I missed. I got to be able to take the shot, and if I make it, it's great. If I miss it, I learn from it. But I'm going to take the shot, and I'm not going to have a fear of failure, fearful of what people would think about me and how it comes back on me. And that's a huge difference. Number six is this. They aren't freaked out by having talent all around them. They aren't freaked out by having talent around them. Uh, people who are fallible leaders are the ones that will go out and surround themselves with people who've got brains and abilities that will complement their own, and they're ones that they can learn from. Because, you see, a fallible leader knows they don't know everything. So what you do is you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and people that are stronger in certain areas where you're weak, and then you can sit there and learn from them. The leader that always surrounds themselves with lesser talented people is the one who says, I've got to feel good about who I am, and I've got to be the smartest man or woman in the room, and so I'm going to bring in lower people over here. Well, you're doing a disservice to yourself and your organization. Uh, it's real easy for me. Anybody I hire is smarter than I am, so, this is, <laughs> so I'm in a great position on here. But you always want to look for that great talent. For people who are skilled and are gifted, and especially in areas that I'm not, that they can bring a whole lot more to the table. And then I don't just let them bring a table. I want to sit under them. I want to learn from them. I want to get their input and their insights and begin to stretch my own knowledge to say, okay, if I do that, then I'm going to be a, a better leader on there. And when you bring talent in like that, what that means is there are going to be sometimes when you're going to have to say, you know, I don't know the answer. I'm going to need your help. Give me your input in there. 
And that's where the fallible leader comes in. But number seven is this. They are magnets. They're magnets. Uh, that means they connect with others. They create a chemistry with people quickly and naturally because they're real people, just because they're real people. I watched both those coaches on the interview, Jay Wright and, and Roy Williams, and to me, they're just kind of magnets. They're just real guys. I mean, it's someone that I wanted to lace up tennis shoes and go play uh, for those guys. They, they're just, they were magnets because they create this chemistry quickly with people because they're natural folks. They're not on airs, and they're just real people. So that's how you see it. So take these seven things and just be looking for leaders that are like that. And when you notice that, say, okay, hey, maybe this is a leader I can, I can learn from or even emulate. But then this is where the third point is, and that is how do you get fallibility? How do you get fallibility? How can I be confident enough to be myself, and how can I show others that I'm human even with warts and all? How, how do you get that way? Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, ask, don't tell ask, don't tell. What does that mean? That means be active in your listening. Value other people's input. Be curious and ask lots of questions. Ask, don't tell. Too often, as we move up in organizations, we feel like our job is to constantly tell people. But if you're always going to be a a leader and and a learning leader, you need to be asking the questions. Ask for people's input. Value their input, what they have to say. Number two is this, <laughs> invite input. Hey, those tails right in there. Uh, and when you invite input, let me tell you what that means. When you ask somebody to give their input, you have just got them involved early to create buy-in and to share their ideas. So when you ask someone, we're getting ready to, to uh, start this big project, and I'd like to get input from you, Guess what? That person has just gotten buy-in because they feel like that they can share and they've got worth in what they're sharing. And so if you want to be a leader that grows in this fallibility, look for the people that are part of your team. Look at some of those people over here that have not been included and invite them to come in and invite their input and say, tell me what you think about this. And once you begin to do that, then they're going to see, so you're inviting me, Danny, into this because you don't know everything? Exactly right. That's why I need you. And that's why you're important. That's why you're important. And that's why you're important. Because I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. And if it was left up to me, I would probably make some decisions that would be wrong. And I don't want to do that. So in order to make right decisions, I got to get, I got to get your input. And then all of a sudden people say, okay, I can buy into that. Invite input. Number three, let down your defensive walls. Let down your defensive walls. That means, again, just be real. Let people see who you are. Let them see who you are. There was a statement in the book that said this, a plastic leader is not an effective leader. A plastic leader is not an effective leader. Just a plastic person who's not real is not an effective leader. Number four is this, celebrate wins. Celebrate wins. Uh, around here, when we have a good win, we uh, toilet paper the, the trees over here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I lose half my congregation. Uh, we, um, you celebrate wins. And what you talk about celebrate wins is there are some leader, leaders that drive their people so hard that they never stop to celebrate. But what fallible leaders do is they reward people for a job well done because it lets them know that it's not just the leader, you know, too, too many times, you know, something great will happen and, and they'll go to the leader and say, oh, you were great. That was great. But, you know, the fallible leader is the one that doesn't just take all the praise because he realizes he or she didn't do everything. 
what they do is they then turn around to their team and they say, well, let me tell you who really deserves the honor for this, this person here, this person here, this person here. And what you do is you celebrate those victories with them. You recognize them. It may be a note that you write them. It could be a pat on the back. It could be at a public staff meeting or you gather people together and just point out something that they did right over there. It could be something monetary that you do for them, but you celebrate those wins. And on a big stage, Sometimes we're limited as to how much we can celebrate, but on smaller stages, you can constantly, constantly celebrate on there. Um, And just see the works that people are doing and point it out. And as a leader, always be listening, just listening to see what happened in this particular um, project and then begin to see who it was that, that, uh, that kind of put their energies into it and then point that out. And people love that. And they appreciate that because they know you appreciate them. You celebrate. It's not all about you. It's about your team. So celebrate wins with others. And number five is this, confront the fear of failure. Confront the fear of failure. That just means you got to get to the point to where you say, everything's not going to work. I'm not going to be fearful of failure. And that takes your number. Uh, and, and confront the fear of failure. This is your statement. And that is be driven by desire to succeed and not by fear of failure. Now, this is huge, and it's going to be huge for us at all places of life. This is huge for me just where I am in life because I look at this, be driven by desire to succeed, not by fear of failure. I've been a pastor here for 19 years, and I could sit back and look and say, oh, there's some great things that we've done, and then I could be so nervous to say, you know, we've had this success, so let's just kind of hold on and let's just, let's just take it easy. And then one day when I kind of ride into the sunset, we can say everything was still going pretty good over here. Well, what happens is I would be driven by a fear of failure rather than driven by a desire to succeed. You should never get to the point to where you feel you've arrived and then you began to hold things back because I just, this is, I, I just don't, want, I don't want to have a failure at this particular time of my life or, or, or my career over here. And whenever you are driven by a fear of failure, it means you got stagnant growth, you got bureaucracy, you got lack of creativity, and you start getting all this political game playing. It's not the way you want it to be. This is a catalyst driven by a desire to succeed is a catalyst for innovation and for risk-taking. We want to be innovative. We want to take some risk, and it is because we want to succeed, not because we're so scared that we're going to fail. And number six is this, share your weaknesses. All right, and we've talked about this. Just share your weaknesses. Now, hear me clearly. Hear me clearly. When I say share your weaknesses, don't be the whiner, self-deprecating person that everybody doesn't want to go talk to. Don't be that guy or that girl that every time you see him, say, well, let me tell you how poor I am in this, and let me tell you how poor I am in that. You know, just slap them. Bam, all right, wake up. Hey, I'm talking about you are honest in the things that you're weak in, but you're committed to learn and grow and improve, okay? These are the things I'm working on to be a better leader. So whenever you share a weakness, you may say, hey, this is something I'm working on to be a better leader. I get challenged. We had a creative worship group that, that gets together, and, and uh, we get together on Tuesday, and, and they love to get a lot of um, uh, early directions on sermons, and I'm terrible at that. 
you know, God just speaks to me at different times, and it's usually at last minutes. Uh, you know, I just put this together five minutes ago. And, no, I'm just kidding. No, but, I, you know, when I'm thinking of, of things and trying to look out, I can get sort of an idea, but I can't get the detail that I need to. So this is a real challenge for me, and I'm real upfront with them. I said, I'm working at this. I'm working at this so I can give you more upfront that can help us make the product even better, okay? So it's okay. Share your weaknesses. But then let people know, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm trying to get better at this. All right, so this is it. The bottom line is why fallibility matters. <clears throat> Leaders who make themselves more real or more relatable, connectable, believable, and trustworthy. Those are four good words for leaders. Relatable, connectable, believable, and trustworthy. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's not just leaders. It's just us as, as people when it talks about fallible. Uh, whenever anyone is ever thinking about life outside of themselves and thinking about spiritual life, they have to first of all come to a point to where they recognize I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. That's the very first thing. And you've got to understand that every one of us, do you remember I said how many people here are perfect? Nobody said they're perfect. And the Bible says that none is perfect. No, not one. All of us have sinned. We've all messed up. And because of that, we've come short of the glory of God. We've been separated from a holy God. And uh, our desire is to be in a right relationship with him. And, you know, one of the first things we have to do is admit our weaknesses. And that's where we come before God and say, God, I have messed up, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And it's not just I want to be forgiven, but, Lord, I want to repent of this sin, which means I want to turn and head in an opposite direction. I don't want to keep doing these things. I want to go in an opposite direction. And so when you do that and then you want to come in that relationship with him, it is through the person of Jesus Christ, his son, who he sent to die on a cross for our sins so that we can have that forgiveness of sins. And so by receiving him uh, as this incredible gift of grace, then... Uh, we come into that right relationship with God. And when we get in that right relationship with God, then we try to live for him and live in that fellowship with him. And there will come days when we begin to kind of head a different direction. And that's when life hopefully kind of hits us in a wake-up call and we look and we say, you know, I don't like where I am. I'm messing up. I need to come back, admit my weakness, come to him who is my strength and say, God, Please forgive me of this. Let's restore that relationship, and let's just keep walking hand in hand uh, for the journey as we continue. That's my hope for you, and that's my prayer for you. As we go through this month of April, that it would be a stronger walk with God. Kind of keep your eyes and ears open. Look for these things we've talked about, about fallible leadership. See if there's some things that you can uh, kind of improve and, and use in your own leadership, and uh, I think you'll be even stronger. But it's only going to last a couple of weeks because you're going to have to come back in May. Uh, and, uh, and in May, we'll be here the first Tuesday ready for another Power Lunch. Thank you all very much. You all have a great day.